welcome back to Civil Discourse. It's lovely to have you tune in. We've got some holiday conversations lined up for you today, so let's get into it. But before that, a quick disclaimer statement. The Student Spin Podcast is a sister media to the Six Mile Post newspaper at Georgia Highlands College in Rome, Georgia. The views in this podcast do not represent those of the Six Mile Post or Georgia Highlands College. All right, fill me with knowledge. <laughs> sure. So <laughs> today I actually wanted to start out with Thanksgiving because I don't know if you remember or if Northwest or North Georgia was impacted as much as Metro Atlanta was. But around the same time, uh, around Thanksgiving and Christmas, we had a really big COVID-19 spike. Like almost everybody mm. was getting sick. COVID-19 testing lines were super long, like two, three hour mm. waits. And unfortunately, I was one of the people that was affected. I did get mm. it that time. Really? Yeah. So I wanted to look into a little bit of if that's going to happen again this year, because, you know, with a lot of people traveling around, families coming into town. And I realized that there are more than just COVID-19 things going on. So I don't know if you have heard about RSV. Isn't that kind of like a something that's more affecting children yes it's like a respiratory illness that has been affecting mostly children i don't know if it's like viral or bacterial i don't know a lot of details tell me about it so it is the respiratory syncytial virus that's rsv it wasn't supposed to be projected for around the season for fall into winter and it does infect babies and younger children because babies and young children don't really have that much of their immune system being built up. So mm -hmm. they get it a lot easier, of course, mm -hmm. and it's circulating around them. But right. that's no surprise too, of course. Babies are gross. I get babies it. Babies are <laughs> gross. But yeah, so that is a little bit of a risk because a lot of families are traveling with their young children, mm -hmm. especially since last year we had the big spike in COVID-19 a lot of families were forced to stay home and have to do Zoom calls or like just in general internet gatherings with their family to be able to still connect. So yeah. I know this year, a lot of people are looking more to trying to be physically in person with their loved ones and family. All this to say, it, it, it's kind of like we're getting a triple hit this year. Do you know anything about statistics in terms of um, like recovery period and even like deaths? So RSV? What I did find in my search, there weren't a lot of statistics except for the flu vaccinations being down for about 10% to 15% this year. Now, I'm not sure exactly what caused that because I'm I'm mm. pretty loyal about my flu vaccinations. <laughs> I guess you, you do it every year. Yeah. Yeah. I've always kind of been like, yeah, I should go get the flu shot. And then like, um, I've <laughs> only had the flu pre-COVID like two or three times maybe. Um, so it's never really been something that like has been a predominant thing considering that we live in a post-COVID world and that there's all these other things going around. And, you know, especially I think the thing that COVID taught us me specifically is like, mm -hmm. okay, so yeah, even if it's not, even if I'm probably not going to get sick or even if I get you know, sick for a couple of days. The whole point of getting vaccinated isn't personal. It's so that everyone around you doesn't get sick. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. 
So I like, you know, I will say I'm, I'm glad that you kind of have brought that up because, you know, n- now, especially post COVID, it's like, I'll be fine. Yeah. But <laughs> I, I should, I should do the responsible thing and go ahead and get it. Yeah. You know, so thank you for reminding me about that. I will do that early next week. <laughs> Doing my due diligence. I'm, I'm glad to have brought it up. Do they have RSV vaccines or is that kind of lumped in with the flu vaccine? How does that work? So I haven't heard anything about the RSV vaccines. I don't think they've gotten to that point yet, but I did see it does work a lot like the flu. You kind of just have to let it run its course in your system and get out on its own because it is in the same strand. It's a virus. So yeah, I did see that it is hitting the East Coast a lot harder. It's Mm. really kind of going down. It's making a U-shape. It's going down the East Coast and then back up into the Midwest. So I wanted to bring it up as a kind of warning to my fellow Georgians. The same shape as the Bible Belt. I don't know what what's happening. Oddly enough. <laughs> of course, I'm not going to tell anybody to just stay home and, you know, do their own diligence. Set so is all a personal opinion if they want to do that. Um, COVID is endemic. It's, you know, it's going to be around, probably never going to go away. Yeah. Um, you know, it will probably keep getting weaker and and just kind of become something like the stomach bug where you just sort of catch it and you stay home for a couple days and then you feel fine but yeah I mean it's kind of scary to see all of this happening right after you know the whole COVID transitioning into an endemic state it's like I mean, at least we kind of have the training from COVID of like, all right, well, if this does get to a similar level of bad as COVID was, well, okay, everyone knows about social distancing and, and masking and everything. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I hopefully with, with the, uh, the training that we've had going through COVID, it will not reach that same peak of fatality. I really yeah. hope it doesn't get to that point. I think the main thing is, of course, with RSV, it being targeted more towards kids. I'm very glad that there's no death toll. Absolutely. So you don't have yeah. to worry about that point. But of course, nobody wants their child to be just sick, even when it comes right. to if the cold or stomach bugs or anything like upper respiratory infections. That's still mm. a downer to deal with. And my thing too, like my, I haven't had the booster, <laughs> but like every time I think about like, I need to get the booster, it's like, I'm probably going to feel bad for a couple of days. And it's, do you actually, uh, you might have some personal experience with this so like we have the flu vaccine we have covid boosters is it the sort of thing where you can just sort of take it all in one like syringe and dump them into a person or is it like you have to take one and then wait a week or a few days have you do you know anything about that so definitely technically for different vaccinations like we all saw with covid19 when they released those the different types like Johnson and Johnson, Moderna and mm. Pfizer, most of them do have a first and second dose. And you do have to mm. wait a minimum of about like 28 to 30 days between those two doses. Mm-hmm. And for the booster, I don't think it's like a waiting period, but when I got the booster, it was immediately after getting COVID. Cause I was like, no, never again, never again. <laughs> so yeah. I had to wait until I was like, get a negative test before I ever. Yeah. Got yeah. 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 
But other vaccinations like the normal ones that everybody gets for K through 12 public school, all the ones that are required, those you can get done straight away. Like they will shotgun you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I've gotten maybe six vaccinations in one day and my arm was numb, like completely gone. It, it is funny because like you have to think about the fact that, you know, sometimes it does kind of it um incapacitate you incapacitates that's the word it kind it, 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 it can kind of incapacitate you for a day you know your arm can be useless oh yeah um or you know some people who have like worse uh reactions to like the covid vaccine you know that can last a few days too um that sort of thing yeah. so we talked about rsv and covid yeah. and flu what else are we talking about? I wanted to kind of keep on the theme of Thanksgiving, of course, since it's so close, but touch into, you know, the origins of Thanksgiving and go a little bit more towards Native American traditions that are stemmed in Thanksgiving, of course, with giving awareness and respect and consideration to Native American Heritage Awareness Month. Absolutely. So starting with that, of course, the holiday, Thanksgiving, the tradition itself was in practice with Native Americans before pilgrims came around and shared that with them. There were a lot more subcategories of the celebration that have been erased due to time. Like there were dances that Native Americans used to do in celebration of the actual food, like corn and beans and different things like that. But I thought that was pretty cool because- yeah. Thanksgiving comes around, it's definitely... Yeah, the food is why you're there. Exactly. And there were 69 autonomous village within the Wampanoag Nation, and each leader of them would collect donations from people of the village as a portion of, you know, their hunt and everything. And the harvest and food was redistributed to people who needed it in the village. So it was very much of a community thing instead of it mm -hmm. being like just family centric. And that's what I wanted to really center on because, you know, there are a lot of people out here that really don't have families to go back to. You know, it is a very um, untouched subject when it comes to Thanksgiving and holidays in general, even with Christmas. How do you think of Thanksgiving? Like, I have a unique perspective that I don't think a lot of people can relate to because I was raised a Jehovah's Witness and we didn't celebrate holidays. <laughs> Interesting. So... <laughs> We had Thanksgiving without calling it Thanksgiving. And it, you know, there was no, which I'm sure this is the case with a lot of families, there's no like kind of historical, it, like it was just a family gathering. And a lot of our family lived in the same community. So, you know, it wasn't like we had people coming from like other states or anything. It was literally just like another family gathering, which we would have, you know, at least once a month. We never talked about the history of it or the Native American heritage. I can definitely relate to you on that. For my family, it was, what are you thankful for? Personally, yeah. we went around, we were like, who are you thankful for? What are you thankful for? Giving gratitude, things like that. And one of the questions that was asked in the article that I researched was how do Native American people and people who study Native American history feel about the current tradition of Thanksgiving? And surprisingly, they felt the same way as our opinions, your opinion more so, just a reason to get together and enjoy each other's company. But yeah, yeah I mean, it, 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 you know, I would like to see more emphasis put on 
because you said like a lot of those traditions came from the native americans who were have already been here yeah um i actually didn't know that you know the dances for the different foods and stuff i want to know more about that than <laughs> you know the the image of like the the pilgrims meaning the native americans and like the turkey on the table like that's that's the only thing we see when we think about thanksgiving when we hear about it um but i'm sure that there's hundreds of years if not thousands of years of of uh native american traditions you know regarding thanksgiving or you know that i would like to hear about i would like to be for to be in the public right um in that same you know thought pattern that you brought up i'm actually very happy that you did bring it up a lot of people do consider it as a day of mourning. History or time really hasn't been kind to the stories, the the traditions, to the mm-hmm. the actual practices that have gone on for a long time. So yeah, I, I agree with you. I honestly yeah. really wanted to learn more about the centric stuff surrounding Thanksgiving and how it was practiced with Native American tribes with yeah. people of that culture because it is a rich and I mean illustrious culture and we don't hear very much about it so that was one of the things that piqued my interest into research. yeah well yeah I, I I think anytime you go into any holiday it's always a good idea to question like why am I decorating this tree why am I cooking like you know there's yeah. you know kind of inter- like follow that thread if you will but just kind of, yeah, I think it's good to just be aware of the history of, of these rituals that you're doing because they're very old and they're very complex. I think there needs to be some level of balance when it comes to, you know, finding meaning in things mm. to a person, you know, understanding that you have with those things, finding that mm. ritual and doing it because it means a lot to you matters more. It's it should be like a yin and yang type of thing where it's like yeah, it's yeah. a lot to me, and also it's a thing that has meant a lot to people because of this. You have your 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 the modern practice of it, and <laughs> and but with the knowledge of you know this is one ritual in a long line of thousands of years of rituals that. The last thing, of course, I'm, I'm going to bring up is something that has been on my radar for, I think, like the entire duration of this month. Um, okay. Because personally, I feel very strongly about it. And that's art. So okay. I don't know if you've seen a lot of the articles or like even TikTok videos centering around a lot of climate uh, climate change activists. Are you talking about the people who are throwing soup and stuff yes. at paintings? I love them and I support them and I think they should do it to everything. No. See, that's why I wanted to bring it up because I wanted to give this perspective. I'm one of those people that I had to look into their reasonings for doing it because one of the arts that they did not deface, but that they did that to to make a showing was one of my favorites, like mm. absolute favorites. I am a big fan of Van Gogh. I agree. But I couldn't understand why exactly it was, you know, the art and throwing mashed potatoes, soup and those types of things, because I do agree with that. There needs to be a call to action with climate change. Mm -hmm. I couldn't understand why it had to be done in that specific way. So let me open up the floor. What do you think about the Why do you think they did it in that specific way? (laughs) 
Um, you know, these old paintings represent, you know, there's these like old pillars of society. Like, you know, they, they've just so become such a part of the zeitgeist of human culture and civilization. And they're seen as like these immortal images. And, and that in relation to the fact, you know, compared to the fact that we live on a dying planet mm-hmm. that we are actively killing. Right. You know, at the end of the day, what's more important, this painting or the future of the human civilization? I think it's quite clear which one is more important. Mm-hmm. I think you you need to get these people's attention somehow. These people who are, who are have their hands on the levers of power and who aren't doing anything to truly counteract, you know, climate change or who are doing it too slowly or, you know, trying to think of how to make it while still being profitable. That doesn't matter. These images, they're on the internet. You can literally Google every Van Gogh painting ever made. I know that it's different. I know that it's a different feeling. I get that. Um, And I mean, you know, you think about the social status of these people who are like in charge of this, this art world. These are people who have their hands on the levers of power. Why are you not doing more? I don't think it's a hard ask either. Honestly, you, you brought up very good points and I feel the same passionately. It's like, if you're going <laughs> to, you got to keep the world alive. There's no way you can yeah. just feel it and think it's going to replenish itself. Like, and that's yeah. one of the things that they were protesting with the specifically Van Gogh sunflowers that they threw soup mm-hmm. on was the abuse of fossil fuels. Mm-hmm. Those things don't replenish themselves. It's going to run out at a certain point. And when it does, and we have, no backing because Mm -hmm. the people that do have the power to change those outcomes aren't doing anything or they're, you know, taking it a little bit more lackadaisical than it should be, then everybody's going to be looking around like what's happening. There is no financial incentive. Green energy is less, there's less profit in it than fossil fuels. I just think that it's a situation that calls for radical change and intervention. And at the end of the day, no one's hurt. Yeah. (laughs) So I I thank you for that perspective, because at first I definitely did feel myself getting mad where I was like, come on now, that's art. If we lived in a world that was aggressively pursuing, you know, green energy and reversing climate change, then enjoy all the Van Gogh you want. (laughs) Unfortunately, we don't live in that. And like no one is getting hurt in this process. The only people getting hurt are the people actually protesting. Yeah, that is true. (laughs) I definitely do. All this to say, I definitely do stand with the activists and what they're trying to tell the world because it is justified. Mm -hmm. They have a concrete backing. They have a concrete message that they're trying to get out, which by your perspective and by reading about it, I did come to understand a lot better. You know, people really weighing what's truly important. Looks like it's truly and actually important because. And I'm a creative, like I love art. I'm Art is very important. If someone took like the original like film of Wizard of Oz and like threw soup on it, I would probably that would probably be a little more personal, like like that sort of thing. But then again, at the end of the day, it's on the Internet. Yeah. (laughs) 
what I mean, at the end of the day, what's more important, the physical object or the way that that image makes you feel? That's the point of art is to make you feel something, make you think emotionally, make you sort of engage with yourself, with your own understanding of of your mind and your emotions. It doesn't need to be on a canvas, on a wall, in a museum. You brought up a really good, a really good line of thought where it's art is supposed to evoke something in you. You're supposed to feel something from it, interpret the meaning. And is that not what the activists did? They gave a meaning to it. They they made people yeah. think about it to cognitively analyze what is actually going on here. I think that's the best thing that you can do for an old piece of art is continue to make it relevant by making it political. I think all protests that do not directly or indirectly harm another person are is valid. Yeah. You know, whether if you're more comfortable, you know, standing with a picket sign and you know, not getting in anyone's face, that's just as relevant as if you want to go throw soup at a Monet. Like, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, and we need all kinds of activism. So I agree. It's showing that you're standing for something and that it means something to you and it needs to change. So at the end I of the day, yeah, I, I came down to understanding why they did it. <laughs> we have bigger fish to fry. We they have bigger fish to fry. And, you know, <laughs> Yeah. Looking at the grand scheme of things, looking at the bigger picture. Yeah, I do agree with it. I do agree with it. And I hope it does, you know, get some some balls rolling. I truly do hope because something does need to change. But yeah. yeah.